0: hello and welcome to the otter podcast i'm your host madison page and today we are skipping across the pond for a bone-chilling cursed collection of objects in england as we seek to find out what happens when you don't honor a promise made at a deathbed today on the otter we are learning about the screaming skulls where they come from what do you do when this grisly spectacle haunts your home i hope we all are prepared for a sight of poltergeist with our tea and let's go Good morning Midnight and Moon my otters, how is everyone doing today? Do we all have our heads firmly on our shoulders? I sure hope so, cause today we are learning about several people who don't, and whose craniums now act as decor of their own volition. This episode was requested by a coworker of mine because if you know me on the outside, it's very easy to get me to do an episode for you, I am very suggestible. It is also easy to get me to do an episode for you even if you don't know me. I do listener request episodes, so if you want your own personalized one, you can send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and hear what you want to hear from me. And how did we enjoy last week's episodes? Did the prosopagnosia have you staring longer in the mirror? Did the pica give you a craving for something unusual? What about the poison cheesecake and the Russian identity theft scheme? Did it freak you out as much as it did me? Don't take food from strangers, kids. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. And if you really enjoyed it or if you didn't, please leave me a rating and review. They really do help. For the returning listeners, welcome back, and for the new listeners, welcome welcome to the Otter Podcast, where we are a trail mix of all things unknown, unsolved, and just plain odd. Now, a small teeny weeny warning with this episode, I will be discussing skulls and how they became detached from the bodies, as there is no gentle and tender way to complete this task, the little listeners might need the accompaniment of an adult. But I will not be getting too graphic. Alright, I think that's all for announcements, so does everyone have their plane ticket and that weird little neck pillow as we take a trip to the home of Big Ben and bigger royal drama to talk about a strange collection of cursed objects? Great! Grab your pack of peanuts and settle in as we talk about the Screaming Skulls of England. When I tell you to imagine a historic British house, what do you picture? Maybe you think of elegance and grandeur the likes of Downton Abbey. Maybe it's the quaint and quiet of a small cottage in the woods. Maybe you're picturing a place like Bittescombe Manor. The Bittescombe Manor was built in the 18th century by the Pinay family. It comprised of a two-story front and a pair of short side wings. Its large wooden front door bore the family crest, but it was considered to be quite modest for a manor home. It still stands today as a beautiful structure in a town named after it, but unlike most manor homes filled with dusty furniture and various bric-a-brac, this house contains an object considered cursed by most. The Bittescombe Manor is home to a screaming skull. There are actually several screaming skulls and we will cover five of them today. These objects are considered paranormal and oftentimes cursed as it speaks, screams, or otherwise haunts the house it lives in. These skulls are always human, and most are found in England, and are often the result of a failed promise on a deathbed. The Bittescombe skull is said to have originated from this very incident. Banished to the West Indies in sixteen eighty five for supporting the Duke of Monmouth, Azariah Pinay hell of a name, by the way, soon proved to be a very successful businessman. Using his wealth and extensive contacts, he was able to return to his home in England in the 18th century and brought back one of his slaves to serve him here. The slave, unnamed in the records, was thought to be a West Indian native, but could have also been African. Unfortunately, he succumbed to the wet and cold weather of England and it wasn't long before he came down with tuberculosis. A death sentence at the time, the slave swore that he would not rest until his body was returned to his native land. In some stories he was said to threaten a curse on the manor if this wish was not fulfilled azariah promised to honor this and the man died soon after now either through the decision of azariah or one of his relatives the passage to return the body was deemed too expensive and the slave was buried at a local churchyard not far from the house this would prove to be a grave mistake not long after the body was laid to rest then the promise broken Townspeople began reporting roars, moans, and screams spilling from the grave. This terrified the public and Azariah was forced to remove the body. With no other graveyard willing to take the remains, it was returned to Bittescombe Manor. It was placed in a loft where it decomposed until only the skull was left behind. There are some stories that claim Azariah did ship the body back to the West Indies or Africa but the head was somehow left behind. The existence of the skull in the manor disturbed the occupants, and several attempts were made to dispose of it. However, all of these resulted in the manor itself being plagued by screams and other hauntings until the skull was returned to its place. At one point, in sheer desperation, a resident of the manor threw the skull into the depths of the nearby pond. This resulted in the man himself being tormented by screams and moans all night until he had the pond drained, the skull retrieved, and brought back to the manor. The whole ordeal became so stressful to the town and the residents, that in 1874 Judge J.S. Udall recorded that the skull must remain in the manor for all time, saying, The peculiar superstition attaching to it is that if it is brought out of the house, the house itself would rock to its foundation, while the person by whom such an act of desecration was committed would certainly die within the year. The fear of the skull was so great that the courts had to get involved. Isn't that crazy? The current owners are now never bothered by it as they never remove it from its home in a box in a bureau drawer. As long as it stays tucked in there, it leaves everyone in the house alone. However, in the 1960s, writer Eric Maple stayed the night in the matter. He reported no screams or moans, but did have vivid nightmares that scared him so thoroughly, he declined the invitation to stay another night and quickly fled. So maybe the skull is not as settled as we thought. But is it real? In 1963, Michael Penne, the current owner of the manor and an archaeologist, had the skull examined. A pathologist determined the skull did not belong to an African or West Indies male slave, but instead was the cranium of a European woman who died 3,000 to 4,000 years ago. The skull showed signs of having been submerged in a well near the manor. This well is adjacent to an Iron Age ritual plot. There is an alternate story where instead of the slave dying of tuberculosis, Azariah and the slave had a fight to the death and the skull was that of the loser. However, as these are both still men, it is unsure where the woman's skull came from or how true the haunting is. Currently, the skull and home are not open to public inspection, so it's unlikely we will ever be able to substantiate the claim. Next we are going to talk about a skull affectionately named Dickie, who has a habit of residing in a windowsill. Dickie makes its home on Turnstead Farm in Derbyshire. While there is no definitive answer as to who Dickie is, the common story tells of a man named Ned Dickinson. Ned was a soldier in the Huguenot Wars in France sometime between 1562 and 1598. He returned home from the front, intending to reclaim his farm which had been taken over by some cousins in his absence. Unfortunately, this would not be the Sweet Family reunion he was hoping for. The cousins were not happy about returning the farm and instead decided that the best fix for their problem was murder. The story goes that after feeding Ned dinner and waiting for him to fall asleep, the cousins proceeded to chop his head off and bury him in the garden. However, when they returned to the home following the gruesome deed, they found the severed smiling head of old Ned back in the house, and it refused to be removed. It was Ned's farm and he would have it one way or another. Another story claims the skull to be that of a woman who was murdered by her sister after they both fell in love with the same man. Either story you choose involves a blood-curdling murder and follows with the head that refuses to be removed. Anyone who tries to pry Dickie from its home is said to be the bearer of certain doom. Various owners have attempted to dispose of Dickie, only to find themselves plagued by misfortune or illness until the skull is put back. And some stories even claim Dickey protects the whole property, not just the windowsill. One incident talks of a railway company trying to build a bridge on the farm in order to link Buxton and Whaley Bridge. However, Dickey seemed to take offense to this unauthorized work on its land and a curse soon broke out over the building site, leading to foundations collapsing and workmen falling extremely ill. The issues became so great that the company gave up and moved the project off the land entirely. Only then could the bridge be built without incident. Rumors abound whether Dicky still sits in that sunny sill. Some claim the newest owners returned it to the Earth, and if they are suffering the consequences, they have not come forward with them. Some claim Dickie still sits there, forever left to keep watch. There are photographs of the skull, so we do know for sure it exists, and that no matter which story is true, someone's cranium took up window space in Turnstead Farm and is still a local legend to this day. Our next screaming skull is one of the more saintly origins. St. Ambrose Barlow, patron saint of Manchester and people suffering from strokes, is one of the reported cursed relics that throw up quite a fit if attempted to be moved. The skull of the saint is housed in Wardley Hall in Manchester. The house dates back to 1292 and after extensive rebuilding and renovation through the 19th and 20th centuries, the hall now serves as the official residence of the Roman Catholic Bishops of Salford. During the Protestant-dominant era of England, Father Ambrose served as a minister to several secret Catholic chapels around the Worsley area. On Easter Sunday, April 25, 1641, the Father was preaching before his congregation when their meeting place was suddenly stormed by an angry mob led by a neighboring Protestant minister. Father Ambrose was taken to Lancaster Castle, where he was tried for being a Catholic and condemned to death. On September 10th of that year, he was brought before a crowd where a noose was placed around his neck and he was hung before being cut down, butchered, quartered, and parboiled in a tar cauldron. Seems a little overkill, but alright. His head was then impaled and put on display outside the castle as a warning to other secret Catholics of the risk their faith posed to them. So how did the skull end up at Wardley Hall? Well it starts with the lord of the place, Mr. Francis Downs, For some weird reason, decided he must have the skull. Nobody is 100% sure how he got the relic off the pike, but he did, and after cleaning it, he placed it behind a secret panel at the top of this main staircase. The skull apparently found that it rather liked Wardley Hall, and like all the others, it too refused to be misplaced. It wasn't uncovered from its grisly hiding place until the 18th century when Francis, not the original Francis, but one of his descendants, 3rd Duke of Bridgewater, discovered the head behind the compartment and in his own disgust tossed it into the moat. Instantly the hall was struck by a raging storm that did not stop until the moat was drained and the skull returned to its cupboard. As the years passed, some other owners have attempted to rid themselves of the horror either through burning it, burying it, or smashing it to pieces. Each time the skull would reappear outside the hall the next day, grinning happily and back in one piece faint screaming has even been reported around the house to this day the skull sits in its cupboard and its right to stay has even been written into the lease for all future tenants the skull sits on a red velvet cushion behind a glass door and it seems happy to remain there next we are heading to burton agnes hall where the most well-known of the screaming skull resides this tudor mansion is in yorkshire During the reign of Elizabeth I, the house was owned by the three daughters of Sir Henry Griffith. The daughters lived a happy life there and loved the house. They devoted themselves to improving the property and bringing out its best. Anne Griffith proved to love the house the most when following a brutal attack from a highwayman after visiting a friend, Anne found herself on her deathbed. She lingered for several days, begging her sister to preserve her head in the house following her death. She swore to them that should they fail to do this, she would return from the grave and make the house hell on earth. The sisters agreed, but shortly after she passed, they found they could not bear to go through with such a task. Resigning the strange request to the railings of someone at death's door, they opted instead to bury her, head and all, in the family vault. But Anne was not playing games. Shortly after her interment, strange and unexplained things began to befell the home. Loud crashing noises and the slamming of doors was heard throughout the halls. Soon, painful groaning sounds would echo through at night. The sisters eventually became so unnerved that they went to a priest and confessed what they had done. The priest advised them that in order to make the incident stop, they needed to uphold their promise. Anne's body was disinterred and found to be in perfect condition apart from her head which had rotted completely down to the bone. The skull was removed from the vault and placed within the home. The noises stopped, the doors quit slamming, and peace returned. However, it is hard to live with a skull in the house, and over the years, many have tried to remove it. At one point, a servant girl became so freaked out by it that she took the skull and threw it into the back of a passing farm cart. Immediately, the horse stopped and refused to budge, no matter how hard it was beaten. Eventually, the girl admitted what she had done, and once the skull was removed from the cart, the horse walked on. The relic rejoined the household, and later a different owner also refused to believe the warnings about the skull and had it buried on the ground. They soon became the victim of a pervasive run of bad luck that only stopped once Anne was brought back inside. The skull of Anne Griffith is now a permanent part of Burton Agnes Hall after being built into a giant carved screen where it cannot be removed, and the home has no peace ever since. It's kind of weird to me how many people buy these homes with these skulls and then act shocked that they're there. Like, if you don't want the skull house, don't buy the house with the skull. Our final visit today is to Hire Chilton Farm, where for over 300 years, the small village in South Somerset has been the, the home of the skull of Theophilus Brom. During the English Civil War, Theophilus Brom, another hell of a name, was originally a staunch royalist. However, after viewing how inhumane the treatment of the prisoners was by the king's troops, Theophilus defected to the roundheads. The war ended, and the royalists won, and Theophilus went to Hyde Shelton Farm to live quietly with his sister. However, he became struck by the fear that following his death, his head would be taken and put on public display as a traitor to the king. This fear became too much, and one day Theophilus made his sister swear that on his death, his skull would be preserved in the house for all time seeing how distraught her brother was the sister swore it when theophilus did eventually die his head was removed and kept in the house while the rest of him was buried at the village church this was later verified when during renovation his tomb was open and his skull was missing Theophilus's sister tucked the skull away in her home until her death when new owners assumed the property. When they stumbled upon the artifact, they swiftly tried to remove it and found in great terror that the house filled with the most frightful screams and the appearance of a poltergeist plagued the family until the skull was returned. The haunting was well documented in a paper in 1791 where it was written, quote, If removed, it made horrid noises portentative of a sad displeasure. The skull was even faulted with a man's death. He was killed after being hit on the head with roof slats from the chapel when he tried to bury the skull on church grounds. The final attempt to remove the skull was made in 1770 when a groundskeeper of the local church attempted to inter the skull back into the ground. Just as he completed digging a grave, his spades broke in two. Taking this as a bad omen, the man returned the skull to the farm and there it remained. The skull is also purported to be sensitive to its treatment, even in the house. In 1977, some researchers went to the farmhouse and attempted to examine the skull. Two of them handled it with bare hands and openly questioned its authenticity. Theophilus apparently did not appreciate this as when those two researchers set off to return to London, one became the victim of a terrible car crash after reportedly seeing bright headlights coming at him when no car was actually present. And the other was badly burnt after a lit cigarette was dropped into the folds of his trousers. Some reports claim the man in the car crash even died. That would mark two deaths for Theophilus' skull. For the safety of everyone, the skull now sits in a wall mounted wooden cabinet high For the safety of everyone, the skull now sits in a wall mounted wooden cabinet, directly across the front door, where it can neither be moved nor touched. It is stated even today that the skull will let out a ghastly scream if anyone even dares to touch it. The Screamy Skulls, while gruesome and frightening, are also sometimes credited as protectors of their land and the inhabitants on it. This is actually not that unheard of as skulls and severed heads were used as offerings to water spirits in ancient times. They were placed in wells and ponds and believed to hold spirits that would protect and guard the homestead as long as they were treated with respect. The sacred relics were feared so much that many would not even speak of where the heads lay for fear of bad luck like the Bettiscombe skull, which was believed to have come from the well on the property. It is also a theory that the questionable origin of some of these skulls is the result of purse storytelling. For some of the Screwy Skulls, it is entirely possible that someone just found the skull in a neighboring field one day, brought it home, and made up a creepy story about it. England is strewn with ancient burial sites, after all. There are other examples of something that should not be removed or bad things will happen across the UK with the most famous being that of the ravens in the Tower of London. Whether or not you believe the skulls and their curses are real, they are to someone. They provide a little hope that maybe there is more after death. Maybe even after I die, I can still have an impact. I can still be cared for. I can still be remembered. Humans are famous for screaming into the void and hoping to hear something back. And maybe through the screaming skulls, we can get a shout. Well, that's all for this episode. So what do you think? Do you believe in the screaming skulls? Do you think they were just mental mori? Would you buy a house with a screaming skull? Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and leave a review. The Otter Pod is now on TikTok. Come follow us there. Have a suggestion for a show? Send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com with your request, and whether you'd like me to mention your name, your alias, or nothing at all. Remember, this is the otter side, so give me something cool, creepy, or confusing to deep dive for you. If you like the show, leave us a review. They really help. Hope everyone sleeps well tonight. And remember, if you buy a house with a skull, leave it where it lies. The Otter Podcast posts every other Thursday. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time on the Otter Side.